morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we are in a series that we're calling Embracing the Vision. All right, often in series like this, when you hear the word vision, maybe you already have in your mind, uh, we're going to hear about buildings and building projects and uh, things like that, programs, and certainly those are things exciting to think about and to work through as a church family at different times. Uh, but more importantly, what I want to do in this series is I want to paint a picture for us based out of God's Word. I want to lay out a vision over the next two weeks uh, of what a church looks like that's dialed into the heart of Christ. What a church looks like that's dialed into His mission for the church. Right? What it looks like for this church, this body of believers right here that gathers at the corner of Hips and Schindler Drive on the west side of Jacksonville, on the edge of Clay County, who a church that's surrounded by thousands and thousands and thousands of broken people right now, this morning, who aren't in a church, who don't care about the things of Christ, who are far from God, who are living in brokenness, who are struggling, who need to hear about a God who loves them, and a God who cares, and a Jesus who took their place on a cross. What it looks like for us, where God's placed us with who He's brought here as part of this church to press in and get excited about to embrace, to own, to experience, to engage in, in a fresh way, Jesus' mission for His church. All right, you're going to have to do better than that this morning, all right? His mission for His church, we don't have to go around looking and trying to discover what that is. It's given to us. His marching orders have been given to us. We find those in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, 19 through 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. You know, God's heart for His church, Jesus' heart for His bride, is quite simple. It's that we would grow as disciples and intentionally seek to make biblical disciples for His glory. If that is our heart, if that is truly our focus, I believe that our best days can be ahead of us as a church. If not, if that's not our heart, if that does, doesn't continue to be our heart, I believe our best days can be behind us, and I believe that that's not beneath us as a church. There are plenty of examples of churches you can point to that were alive at one time, and the doors are closed, and then they're dead. You can point at churches today that have slowed down, lost their focus, forgotten why, they've, why they exist, why God uh, brought them to life in the first place. Why people gathered in the name of Christ in the first place. Why God planted them there and why they exist. Do we stop enough as a church and remember why we exist? And I'll tell you why we exist. Here's why we exist. We exist to be a disciple-making, life-giving station right here, the corner of Hips Road in Schindler Drive. We exist to be a life-saving station that makes disciples. And the sad reality is so many churches along the way forget that they exist for that purpose. And I want to show you kind of a modern-day parable to sober up our thinking this morning. Take a look. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was a little crude life-saving station. The building was just like a hut and there was only one boat and a few devoted members that constantly watched over the sea and with no thought for themselves, went out day or night tirelessly searching for lost people. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station and so it became famous. 
Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to join the station and give their time and their money to support the work that they did. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station started to grow. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt more comfortable place to be should be provided for the first refuge of those being saved at sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture into an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and they decorated it and furnished it as a sort of a club. Less of the members were now interested in going out to the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired a lifeboat crew to do the work. The mission of saving lives was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. Around about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and, the, and they hired crews to go out with boatloads of people coming in off that ship, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and they were sick and some spoke strange languages and the beautiful new club got considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had showers built outside of the club where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before they came inside. At the next meeting there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether because it was unpleasant and it was a hindrance to the normal life of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and they pointed out that they were still called to be a life-saving station. But they were voted down and told if they wanted to save the life of all the various kinds of people that were shipwrecked in those waters out there, then they could build their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. And years went by and the new station experienced the same changes that the old had. They evolved into a club and yet again another life-saving station was founded. And if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. I want that to just sit there for a second. All right, I want that to kind of sober up our thinking and sober up our hearts thinking this morning. And I hope that you, through that parable that's shared there, understand the importance of why we need to continuously remember why we exist as a church. To remember that the point of our existence is to point broken people to a perfect Savior who can save them. I want us to first understand that this is going to involve us first embracing a mission this morning. And it's not our mission, it's, it's God's mission. Embracing his mission for the church. So you got a card this morning, and it should be uh, one close by you on a seat uh, beside you. If you don't see one, look at a row in front of you. I think they're just kind of scattered about. Uh, I, I want that to be your card. I want you to, to use that this morning. You can use that to follow along with the message. Uh, but I want that to be something that you, you take with you. I, w- I don't want you to leave that behind, all right? In part, just a very simple way of embracing the vision is just taking that card with you, all right? Any of you can do that. Put it in your Bible. Put it in your purse. 
uh, take it out of here on your person and put it somewhere this week where you will look at it. All right, study it, uh, memorize it. All right, this is language that we're going to use moving forward, all rooted in Scripture. But I believe it's something that can help us stay on track as a church that is called to be a life-saving, disciple-making station. All right, so uh, at the top of that, you're going to see our mission. This is the mission we're owning together as a church that I'm asking you to embrace, rooted in the Great Commission based on where God's placed us, thinking through the geography of where He's placed us, even considering particular manifestations of sin in the context where He's called us to do ministry, uh, this is how we're going to express our mission. All right, We're going to be people committed, look at the mission statement there, people committed to following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel to be fully restored and satisfied in Him. We're going to be a group of people committed to following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel to be fully uh, restored and satisfied in Him. That's who we are. If someone asks who we are, what what are we about, where are we going, this is our mission. And let me break it down for you uh, because we carefully walk through each of these phrases. This is crafted with a lot of intentionality and prayer. Following Christ, all right, that's the growing side of our mission statement. We're called to grow as disciples, following Christ. Listen, being on board and embracing the mission, embracing the vision that God has for our church is first about you coming to Christ. You can't embrace the Lord's mission until you come to the Lord himself for salvation. And so it's, it starts with salvation. And then what our life is, is a journey of growing in our relationship with Christ. So we're people who are committed, who are following Christ, and then it says engaging. That's the evangelism side of our mission statement, the going side. We're growing and we're going. We're engaging. All right, we're not people that are just kind of sitting around waiting for a lost community to come to us. Sometimes that'll happen. Often it happens in this type of service here. And if you're here this morning, we're glad you're here. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, we hope it's clear to you this morning what that looks like. All right, but we're called to go. We're called to go out into our community and to point people to Christ. All right, engaging. That's what that word engaging means. Everyday people. This is the type of people we're taking the gospel to who are everyday people, all people. All right, these are the whosoevers. All right, we take the gospel to anyone and everyone because the gospel is for anyone and everyone. We take what? With the gospel, engaging everyday people with the gospel. The gospel is the message of Jesus coming and living the life we can't live, dying the death we deserve to die. Jesus, in our place on the cross, dying the death in our place, taking the judgment of God and raising from the dead, conquering the grave we couldn't conquer. He offers salvation. He's the only way to the Father. That's good news this morning because all of us have a common problem of sin, but the gospel is something that can address all of our problem, uh, problems. It's the only thing that can transform your life from the inside out. It's the only thing that can raise your soul up from the grave. The gospel is the message we carry, and we carry it and engage a lost culture so that they'll be fully restored, meaning their relationship with the Father's restored, which allows them to experience relationships that can be restored, and also allows them to the power of the gospel and the spirit at work in their life to experience restoration in all aspects of their life. There are people in our community that have, there's particular manifestations of sin that we're mindful of. This area right around us is, is an area that is plagued with drug addiction, substance abuse. It's all around us right here. You may not realize that. You can drive down one road and you kind of got working class people who are doing their thing and you can drive down another road and it's full of drug houses. It's full of people who are stuck in that kind of sin. But the, in the gospels, something that can save their life and restore them. And heal them. 
and break those chains of bondage. And it's also a gospel that when you go down another road and, a work, and you've got a working class family where a guy's putting his, his success and his business before a relationship with God can restore his life as well, can save him. And the gospel can be applied to his life as well. So it restores. And then the last part of it, I'll read it all together. Following Christ and engaging everyday people to be fully restored and satisfied in him. That means that, hey, the, the goal of the gospel, what the gospel does in your life, is it, you become satisfied in Christ. He becomes your treasure. He becomes your delight. Listen, someone satisfied in the Lord is someone who will be surrendered to the Lord. When people are... We're people committed to following Christ and engaging everyday people to be fully restored and satisfied in Him. In other words, we're committed to be a life-saving station. In other words, we're committed to be a rescue boat, not a cruise ship. Big difference. Right? We know what a rescue boat's about. A rescue boat's focused. A rescue boat has, has you know, put away the excess things that can get in the way. A rescue boat's not inwardly focused. They're outwardly focused on a mission. A cruise ship, they're not in a hurry to help anybody. It's full of a bunch of people who are inward focused. Focused on their, them being coddled and all their entertainment. We're called to be a rescue boat. We're called to be a rescue boat full of people who are following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel but to be fully restored and satisfied in Christ. That's who we are. That's the direction that we're going. And in order for us to stay on that path, in order for us to stay in that mindset, in order for us to stay in that lane that biblically we've been called to stay within, it's going to take us embracing together some core values. So we have seven core values that we're embracing as a church. And I'm going to run through these at a later date. I'm sure we'll have probably a series where we just go through all of these one by one. We'll bring these up along the way because these are, these are values we're called to exercise as a community of faith. These are values that we're called to value. One is this, clear biblical teaching. And I'm going to give you some verses if you're taking notes this morning, one for each of these, and you can write that down. At a, at a later time, we'll do an expanded view of this, and you can see all the verses that support these values. Clear biblical teaching, 2 Timothy 3.16 is a great verse to go to. Sincere prayer. We're a church that values sincere prayer. James 2, 2 through 4 is a great verse for that one. Genuine love for all people, John 13.35. Real biblical community. Colossians 3, 13 through 17. Authentic multi-generational worship. We're not just going after one stage of life. We're not a church that's going to be built around going after one demographic. We're an, we want to be an authentic multi-generational church worshiping together with uh, programs, with things that can come alongside people of all stages of life. A church full. We believe a New Testament church that's healthy is full of three-year-olds to 93-year-olds all worshiping together. Psalm 145 is a great verse to go to for that one. Faithful generosity. We believe we're never more like God than when we give, not just with our money, but with our time and with our talent. John 3, 16. That's a great verse to go to to see what God gave us. Committed family partnership, Deuteronomy 6. So we believe that parents, that, that you're the you're primary disciplers of your kids, but we want to come alongside of you and to partner with you and to help you as you do that. So those are our values. We believe as we embrace those core values, that that's what will help us to stay on track and to stay on mission, the mission that God's called us to, to follow Him and engage everyday people with the gospel, be fully restored and satisfied in Him. But what if we stop there? What if we just said, okay, that's our mission and those are our values? All right, good. Let's just dismiss and let's leave. No, if, if that's where we stopped, we would just be a bunch of people that agree on the same things. 
We just kind of be sitting around agreeing on the same things. And yeah, I agree with those values. I agree with that mission. But what God has given us in Scripture is a strategy that we as a community, community of believers can commit to. And as we commit to it, we exercise these biblical values together in our life as individuals and in our life as a community of faith. And it keeps us on mission to follow Him and engage a lost world and make disciples for His glory. So if the strategy... In Scripture is what God's given us as a church to, to allow us to exercise these values and stay in a steady rhythm of growing and going as disciples. Well, what we want to do over the next two weeks is we want to dial in on this strategy. And what I want to invite you to do is to embrace and to jump in with two feet each part of this four-part strategy. And I believe as we do, we will stay on track. Exercising these biblical values will stay on track as a church that is a life-saving, disciple-making station. This week, what we're going to focus on is the top half of the strategy. You can go to the next slide. Um, Never mind. Stay there. Look on your card. Look at the top half of your strategy. There you go. We're going to focus on the top half of the strategy there, uh, which is, is gather and connect. And I want you to look at those two circles this morning, and I want you to, to, to ask yourself, have I jumped into both of these with both feet? Am I fully committed? Have I embraced this part of the strategy for this New Testament church? And what we're going to do is we're going, you're going to go to one text. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I think I already asked you to turn there. Hebrews chapter 10. Maybe I didn't. Hebrews chapter 10. And I believe that it is a great text that shows us what it looks like to be believers who are committed to gather and to connect. So stand with your Bibles open. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, this has been on my heart heavy this week. I'm thankful for what you've given us that is expressed on this card. We believe it's rooted in your word. And what I'm praying for an army of believers in this church to rise up and to embrace this. Lord, that we would not just come to church, to play church and to check off boxes, Lord, but we'd understand this morning more fully why we're here, why you've put us here, the mission that you've called us to, and that we'd be more committed than ever to your mission for the church, Lord. We're not here to come up with our own ideas, Lord, to impose our opinions, uh, to be about our preferences. We want to be about your word, about your way, about your mission. Lord, I pray that you would put an excitement in our heart to be about your mission, Father, as a church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see this morning is that for a church to be on mission, we want to be a church that's committed to the gathering. All right, so you're looking at me like, okay, got that. You're preaching to the choir. Let's move to the next point, all right? But it's not just simply about getting up and getting here, all right? A a church on mission is a church full of people who don't just know what they're supposed to do, but why they're doing what they're doing and why they're doing what God's Word has told them to do. A church on mission understands the purpose of why they gather. So I want this to be an opportunity for you this morning to remember maybe once again or to be confronted for the first time uh, with a question why are you here? Why are we gathering in this place this morning? You go, well, I've always done this. My parents taught me to do this. My grandparents came to church, and this is just kind of something I do. Sometimes I kind of get out of rhythm a little bit, but I come back. Uh, I'm here, and I'm pretty consistent. But if you had to ask me the main reason I do it, probably because I was raised in church, and I know it's something I'm supposed to do. Not a good answer, and it's not enough. 
Let me give you three quick biblical reasons why we need to gather, why we're needing to be committed to gathering, but really why we gather in the first place. All right, We gather, number one, because God tells us to gather. Let's start there. It's communicated clearly through His Word. For one, it was a regular practice of gathering with God's people was a regular practice of Christ. All right, You see Christ like in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It said it was His custom to gather together in the synagogue. That was kind of the pre-resurrection place you gathered for worship, uh, to worship. Jesus is there. It was a regular practice of His life. Worshiping with God's people. Reading God's Word. Worshiping through song. So Jesus himself did it. Scripture tells us to be imitators of Christ. And the early church was certainly that. They followed in the footsteps of Christ. They, we read in Acts, all over Acts, how they gathered together on the Lord's day to worship through hearing of God's word, the reading of God's word, and through song. Uh, something that they did because they saw their Savior and Lord do that. And it's also something they did because it's something God commanded them to do explicitly in His Word. And it's a command for us. It's found right there in verse 24. And let us consider. Circle that word, let us. Anytime you see that phrase in the Bible, that's a command, not a suggestion. Let us not neglect the gathering. He's saying, let us not neglect what we're doing this morning. Let us not neglect gathering, if we can get here on Wednesday nights. Let us not neglect students gathering together for youth worship on Wednesday nights. Now, you hear this and you're like, yeah, that sounds like a much needed announcement for right now. Because, I mean, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds very relevant. It sounds very needed at this time and, you know, where we're at in our world and even in the church world. Because you, you look back over the last two years, a lot of people have detached themselves from the gathering. A lot of people have gotten into a bad habit of missing church. Maybe you're, you're here this morning and, you know, it's because a lot of people have gotten just more sporadic with their church attendance. And maybe you're here this morning and it's the first time you've been here for a while. And we're glad that you're here. But you're here for a reason. For you to hear from God's word and understand that the, that the pattern of falling out of church is not just some small issue. And by the way, it's not a new problem. This isn't a millennial problem. Right? This was written in the first century church. All right, this, there are a few decades, there are a few decades, as, as the writer of Hebrews writing this, the church is a few decades from the resurrection of Jesus himself. And he's having to say to them, hey, y'all need to get yourselves back in church. Y'all need to get out of this bad habit of not gathering together. And if that's you, you need to hear, and I say this in love, that you falling out of the habit of gathering is no small issue. It is a big deal because in God's word, he clearly commands us to do it. So to not gather regularly is to disobey God's word. Now, there's some people who maybe are are, are watching online and there's some reasons why you you can't come to the gathering up to this point. There's times where maybe we're on vacations and there's times where we have to miss and there's times for health reasons we can't be here. But if we are able to be here in the flesh, analog, together, seeing people eyeball to eyeball, shoulder to shoulder, God's word said this is where you're supposed to be. So that's the first reason, but listen, it's about to get good because that can't be the only reason you come to church. The second reason we come to church is because our king is worthy of our worship. See, what I don't want you to hear if you're online, and I don't want you to hear in the room if your attendance has been sporadic and you're here today, is you to feel uh, guilt, driven by guilt to get here next week. Oh, man, I feel bad about this. That's not what should be motivating you to come to church. In in Christ, we don't come to church because we're trying to earn favor with God. We don't come to church because we feel guilty and want to kind of come and and check off a religious activity. We come to church because the love that He's shown us and because that love makes Him worthy of our worship when we gather. 
We gather because our King is worthy of our worship. Have you stopped today and remembered that your King is worthy of worship? Okay, four of us are, are, are happy about that and glad about that this morning. Let me ask you to you this way. Are, are any of you glad to be a child of God this morning? Are any of you glad to be saved this morning? Are any of you glad to be restored in your relationship with God this morning? Are any of you glad to know the one, the Lord, Jesus Christ, who satisfies the longings of your soul? Who satisfies the quench of your soul? Or the thirst of your soul? Are you glad to know today that in Christ your, your, your sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven? Are you glad today to know that you're accepted by God, that you're going to heaven, not on the basis of your performance, but because of your position that's locked in secure eternally in Christ? He's a king worthy of us coming up in here every week and praising him. Lifting up his name, worshiping him. Remember what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Hebrews really connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. The whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament, as we looked at last week, was pointing to a day. God promising through that, implied through it, and then he just straight up said it through the Messianic prophecies that one day he would send a sacrifice that would solve our sin problem. And he did it. He fulfilled the promise. He's a promise-keeping God. Hebrews, up to this point, is all about celebrating that sacrifice. Our mediator, our great high priest. Look at the end of verse 23, right before verse 24. What does it say there? For he who promised all of the things he promised about Christ is faithful. He's faithful. And then he follows that up with an exhortation that says, Hey, he's faithful. He came through. He's a promise-keeping God who saved your soul. He's a marvelous, majestic king. And then he goes into this exhortation. So gather and worship him. Reminding us that we gather for worship because the one that we're gathering to worship is worthy of our worship. Listen, when that truth grips your heart, hey, it, it impacts the way you worship. It impacts the way you walk into this room. It impacts the way that you sing. It impacts the way you lean in and listen to His Word. Hey, it, it, you can be expressive in your worship. It says in Psalm 98, 4, because the Psalms uh, so often are about, you know, how we respond to the greatness of God. Filled with truths about who God is. And then worshiping God through poetry and through song. And in Psalm 98, 4, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. You know what that means? You got permission biblically this morning to be expressive in your worship. You got permission this morning to be excited and loud in your worship this morning. You want to lift your hands in worship? You lift your hands. Some of y'all are like, wait, I, wait a second. Time out. I thought we were Baptists. I thought we were only like allowed to raise our hand when we were voting in a business meeting or something like that. <laughs> now listen, some of you need to hear this morning, and I want to say this, some of you are more reserved in your worship. Nothing wrong with that. Some of us are a little more reserved in our worship. It's like going to a football game, and you've got one guy over here, and he's going crazy, and he's spinning around. He's high-fiving. He's hugging people he don't even know, but who have the same colors that he's got on. He's got one half of his face painted one color, one half of his face painted the other color, and he's expressive in his celebration for that team. And then you've got some little dude next to him, kind of down in a seat. He's not making much noise at all, but he got his headphones on, listening to the sports radio. He's taking notes on everything that's happening on the field. Which more? Which one is more of a devoted fan? They're both devoted. They just express it differently. 
So if you're more reserved in your worship, nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is some of you may come into a place like this and you may be wondering when I come in on a Sunday like this and it's a, it's a week when it's, the enemy's been attacking my family. It's a, it's a week where I've had seeds of doubt planted in my mind, where I faltered in my faith and I come into this place and I hear like we did this morning songs being sung about the goodness and the faithfulness and the promise keeping of my God and the never failing love that he has for me. Is it okay for me to lift my hands? Lift your hands. Shout a song of praise. And if that bothers you, you need to get over it. You need to consider that church don't need to always be done the way you think it needs to be done. And you need to understand that a little indicator of a church that's on the move, of a church that's on mission, a church that's excited to leave a room like this and to go out into a culture and engage them with the gospel is not, listen, a church that looks like the frozen chosen, but a church that gathers together and gets lost in worship and can't get over that this king, this marvelous, majestic, holy, good, and merciful king, save me. I'm about to break our new podium up here. I just, man, I'm tired. Listen, our king is worthy of our worship. That's why we gather. So we gather because the Bible tells us to. We gather because he's worthy of our worship. And we gather in worship because, listen, worship isn't about us. The writer of Hebrews shows us that part of the reason we gather is because we got a responsibility for the spiritual well-being of people around us. Hebrews here helps us understand that one of the reasons that we gather is to help minister to the needs of other people in my faith family, which means, again, a.k.a., it's not about me. Look again at the first phrase. Uh, He says, let us what? Consider. That that Greek word means to think about, to give your mind's attention to, to have your mind consumed by something, to consider what here? How to stir up. It means to inspire one another to love and to good works. How to inspire one another to grow in their relationship with Christ, to grow in their passion and their love for Jesus. And he goes on to say, how do you do that? By not neglecting gathering together. The writer is showing us something here that gathering for worship is not about me. It's not about us. It's so easy to come into this place and be consumed about us. I didn't like the music today. I didn't get much out of the message. It did a little bit for me last week, but it didn't do much for me today. We focus on ourselves, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, you're you're thinking wrong. This is not about you. This is about the king. This is about God. And this is about how he wants to use you when you come into this gathering every single week in the lives of your faith family, in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your church family needs you to be in here on Sunday mornings because there's some Sunday mornings where there may be somebody in this gathering across the room who's sitting there and they're lonely and you don't see it. They're hiding in plain sight, but they've been dealing with lonely thoughts all week and they need somebody to walk over in love with an expression of joy and care on their face and to shake their hand or give them a hug and say, hey, I see you. You matter. How are you doing? What's your name? How can I pray for you? There are Sundays where there's going to be somebody near you who's hanging on by a thread, who got terrible news this morning, who got rocked by the brokenness of life in some kind of way, and they need to look at somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, who's got the joy of Christ coming off of their life as they're singing a song of praise to Him. Often, sometimes what they'll do is they'll look over across the way in their faith family and see somebody they know who walked, is walking through a trial. And when they're able to see you come in here, even when you don't feel like it, and sing a song of praise, it is well with my soul. It ministers to people in ways you 
Can't even imagine. He goes on to say that gathering brings encouragement to one another. End of verse 24. That is a phrase there, one another. The the New Testament's full of these phrases, one another, that that capture a a special experience that you have in, in a faith family amongst the brothers and sisters who are part of that local body. Over 40 of them. We get a couple of them right here. The one another. I don't have time to go over all of them, but you have honoring one another in the New Testament, serving one another, admonishing one another. You see the early church giving preference to one another, comforting one another. It's all over the New Testament. You see two of them right here. They're wonderful things that we can experience as a faith family, but you can't experience them yourself or be someone that administers them into the life of someone else if you don't gather. And if when you do gather, you don't remember that it's not about us. So I want to challenge you when you come onto campus as we think about this part of the strategy. To not come on this campus as a spectator. To not come onto this campus as a consumer. To come onto this campus remembering why we gather. Remembering that we gather because God told us to. I'm here. I'm here because our King's worthy of worship. And I'm here because somebody else needs me to be here this morning. It's not about me. Greet somebody. Talk to people. Smile at someone. Sing us when you sing, sing to your king. A missional church is committed to gather. Listen, it's a gift. This is a gift that God's given us. For every single week since the resurrection or since the day of Pentecost, bodies of believers have met like this. This is a gift. It's something we do. It's integral to our growth as Disciples, And we've got to be committed to it. It's a place when we're here together on Sunday mornings and on Wednesdays that we're exercising different core values, clear biblical teaching. We're uh, exercising the value of sincere prayer, authentic multi-generational worship. And then also that value that I just covered, biblical community. We're experiencing biblical community where we're encouraging and stirring one another up to become more like Christ. But here's what I want to tell you. If this is the extent of the community that you experience, your growth as a disciple is going to be greatly limited. That's why we don't just as a church commit ourselves to gather in our strategy. We're going to commit ourselves to connect. See, the relationships in this room, and I'm glad you're here, but if, if all you're doing is gathering, think about a boat that needs four oars to get it going in the right direction and to go smoothly. If all you do is gather, you're, it's like rowing one boat or one oar in that boat. It's not going to get you anywhere, right? So we need to add another oar to it on the other side, and it's connect, right? The relationships that you form are only going to go so deep if your experience in this church and the life of this church is contained to this room when we gather, right? The stirring that we're called to do and we're called to experience can only happen to a certain degree if this is the extent of our relationships. God saved us to be part of a spiritual family and not to just come to the family reunion every Sunday morning, but to get to know one another, to experience relationship, to experience meaningful, restored relationships, not just with him, but with other people. And that you know that's something we long for, right? We do. Humanity longs for it. That's a wonderful thing about a relationship with God is He restores that desire in us and the image that He's placed on our life. Over the last few decades, when you think of uh, TV shows that have been big hits, that have had a lot of success, they all have a, common, a lot of them have a common theme. All right? I'll go way back. Oh, yeah, I love Lucy. you got the Brady Bunch. Anybody ever watch the Brady Bunch? All right, some of you. All right, all in the family. 
You get to the 80s, you know, oh my gosh, you don't have time to name them all. Happy day, you've got growing pains. All of them, you could make a long list, we don't have time to cover it this morning, and all of them have one thing in common. They're depicting communal family life. That's what the focus of the show is on. Even Alf, it's about an alien, but it's about a family. In the 90s, you got what, you got to hit, it's actually called Friends. It's about a people, a group of people who live in sin a lot together, and, but they're, they're, they're together, they're friends, it's relationships. Seinfeld, it's about absolutely nothing. But it really is about something. It's about a group of people committed to do life together, friends. Like, even if we don't live in it, we, like, hey, we know we need it deep down, and we actually like looking in and watching other people experience it. Where does that come from? We're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of a Trinitarian God who lives in a perfect fellowship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Godhead and has made us in His image. It's in us. It's in our DNA. It's, it's in our spiritual DNA. Problem is, is in our sin. See, the problem why we have problems with relationships and we often avoid relationships because we get our hearts broken or people break commitments or people get fake and we can sometimes retreat and avoid relationships where all of that comes into play is in Genesis chapter 3. God made man in his image. He made man, said it's not good for man to be alone. He gave him woman. They were in perfect fellowship with God and with each other. And then sin comes in and fractures both of those relationships. The gospel restores both of those relationships. Restores our relationship with God. Restores our relationship with people. And allows us to experience the community and the real relationships that we really desire as image bearers of God. That's what we need. There is, a, there is a lie that people even in church will buy into it. It may be the reason why you just gather. A lie that what we need to experience joy, what we need in order to experience joy in life is, is something, you know, something more money or, or a bigger house or more square footage or a bigger yard or whatever that is. No, what you need, listen, to experience joy is you need real relationships. You are not a self-sufficient human being. You need a relationship with God and you need real, meaningful, restored, gospel-centered relationships with other people. Christianity, you can't go Lone Ranger. It's not a solo sport. In the place where you experience this community, again, that's one of our core values, the place where we as a church mainly see this exercise and we experience meaningful relationships is in a small group. Or a Sunday school class. You'll hear us use those two terms interchangeably. But a small group of people who break off from the larger group of people and live life together, experience community together. You say, well, where do we sit in Scripture? I don't know. Jesus. Look at Jesus with the disciples. His small group. He, he broke away from the, the crowds to spend a lot of his time with a smaller spiritual family with his disciples to show us that if we're only gathering in the bigger group, listen, it's not enough. We need to experience community. It can be easy to do. It can be easy to come to the gathering. And there's a good part of that discipline in your life. But there's spiritual growth you're never going to experience if you're not experiencing real, deep, meaningful relationships. You need to connect with a small group. You need to connect with a Sunday school class. Jesus models that for us. So this morning, may I invite you, when you leave here, go by the Welcome Center. Tell them, I want to join a small group. They'll tell you where to go next week. You go to that group. You know, you can go to another group the next week, pray where God wants you to jump in, but eventually jump in and commit to that group of believers and to experience a, a restored gospel-shaped community in that class. 
Listen, there, there is, when you commit to a small group of believers to walk through life together, to meet each week in that small group, you're going to experience some, some life-changing things in your life. You're going to experience a deeper level of fellowship that you haven't known. Often it will be done through food. All right, we Baptists, we're awesome at that. We got that down. You walk around this campus on a sunny morning, you poke your head in some classes, you're going to find some good food. All right? We break bread together. We're going to eat. All right? The, it, you're going to, it's going to be a place where, where you're going to experience care for one another. Care that you're not going to experience in the larger gathering. All right? So, and often that's going to be done through food. I remember when I was, you know, I was part of my story is I was a youth pastor here uh, from 2006 to 2011. And, uh, and now I've been the, the lead pastor here for the last four years. But when we were youth pastor here, we, we had uh, our first child, you know, as part of this church. And, and I remember, we, obviously, it was the first time experiencing that. And uh, me and y'all, like, bombed us with some food. Like, the casseroles and the lasagna, pans of lasagna didn't stop coming, right? Just delivered to our... And y'all know how to make... I mean, y'all know how to get the che- extra cheesy, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know how to make some lasagna. And my wife, I told y'all this before, my wife was like, you know, I, I'm th- I think we'll just have one. I was like, if they keep bringing the lasagnas, we're going to have more kids. Now, I remember feeling, I, re- I really remember feeling so cared for. All right, and that, that's a kind of love and that's a kind of care you're not going to experience without connecting. Listen, y'all, some of y'all are so good about that. Some of you small groups are so good about caring for one another. Hey, but it goes way beyond the lasagna. It goes way beyond the casseroles. A small group is a place where you're going to experience encouragement in your walk with Christ. It's a place where as you walk through God's Word together as a smaller group, hey, you can interrupt. Hard to do that in here. That'd be a long service. But it's a place you can interrupt. You can ask questions. You can, it's not just listening to a monologue. It becomes a dialogue. It's a place where it's safe to ask questions, where you can pray together, pray over each other. You can serve together. It's a place where you can, you can discover your spiritual gift. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit's put a, at least one spiritual gift in you. You can go find a spiritual gifts quiz online. That's fine. But a great place to, to find out what that is is in the context of your small group. It's a place where others are able to speak into your life in real ways to encourage you when your life looks like, looks like Jesus, man. When, you, when you're having victory by the grace of God in your life and experiencing that, but it's also a place where people can speak into your life in love in ways that can restore you because you're not following Christ the way you should. It's a place where you weep with others who weep, where you rejoice with others who rejoice. It's a place where you can work through issues in life. It's a place where you can belong. It's a place where you can know you're not alone. It's a place where you're going to get checked on. When you're not around, you're going to be missed. It's a place of healing. It's a place where we can experience and demonstrate the gospel in incredibly healing ways. Because you know why? A healthy small group is going to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's a place where we can be real. It's a place where we can let our guard down. It's a place where, hey, where we can feel like this is truly a hospital for the sick. Because you know what? None of a, a healthy small group is going to be full of people who everybody understands that none of us are awesome. None of us have it all together. We're all sinners saved by grace, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that makes us free to admit our weaknesses. That makes us free to let down our guard. In a healthy small group, you'll experience things like this. Someone say, hey guys, with tears coming down their face, y'all pray for my family. My marriage is suffering. I'm not being the husband that I need to be. Man, I'm not being the wife that I need to be. I'm not sure we made the best decision in the parenting of our kids. And in a healthy small group, you're going to be surrounded by truth, by love, 
and grace. It's a place where that can be experienced. But it's only a place that can be experienced if you connect. It's a place you can experience accountability because, hey, we're going to be a place where you can let down your guard and share where you're struggling, but it's going to be a place where we're going to spur you on in love and point you to Jesus and, and seek to see all of us growing. And when we falter and when we fail again, we're going to cover you with grace and we're going to start again. It's a place you're going to experience compassion and grace and forgiveness, a place we're going to study the Word together. It's a place where you're going to experience a restored gospel-shaped community in a way that will literally change your life where you can stir up in others a love for Christ and good deeds for His glory and where you'll be stirred up for those things as well. It's a place where you will live out those one another's at a deeper level that you'll never live out just being committed to the gathering. And as we live life together in the context of smaller groups not just in a classroom, but outside of that classroom as well. We experience growth in our life and we exercise biblical principles, core values, and it keeps us on track. So I'm inviting you this morning to connect. I'm inviting you this morning to go by the Welcome Center and sign up for a small group. If you're connected, I'm asking you this morning to be committed to that group in a fresh way and to be thankful for it, to show up not as a consumer, to show up wanting to be a blessing. To show up and be willing to be transparent. You have no idea how your transparency could help somebody else in that room who's suffering in plain sight, hiding in plain sight in a way that you are, and you letting down your guard is going to encourage them. Encourage your small group leader. Thank them for what they do. It's such an important part of our church. Speaking of connecting in smaller groups, another opportunity that I want to put out there before you uh, that we just launched is our men's discipleship group. Small groups of men who are gathering together. Uh, we're going to uh, soon launch uh, women's uh, discipleship groups as well. Uh, men's have already started. James Hudgens, who works back in the sound booth, you can go back there this morning and see him. He'll get you plugged into one. Because there's certain things that we can discuss and work through in a gospel-shaped community of just men that we can't do in a co-ed class. And same thing for women. What I want you to see this morning, big picture, is that growing disciples are committed to gathering and connecting. What I don't want you to hear this morning is this, that in order for you to be a growing disciple, and in order for you to be someone who's embracing this part of the vision God has for our church, is just you coming to church and going to small group. That's, it's not just checking off the box of religious activity. Right? Listen, we're called to take ownership of our personal discipleship. We're called in our everyday life to exercise these core values. We're called every single day to be students of the Word, to be people of sincere prayer, to be people on mission in our workplaces and wherever God has called us to, to be people who worship this King who's worthy of our worship every single day with our life in all places, places and compartments of our life. And then we come into the gathering and we connect with our small group out of the overflow of that. So... To grow as a disciple and to show up to the gathering and to, to interact out of the overflow of that, just think about how powerful that will be. And what you'll find is that the gathering and connecting with believers will actually be something that fuels your personal discipleship. And you'll see how they're linked together and they're in relationship. What I want you to see is that part of our church's calling in order for our church to stay on mission, we have got to be committed 
to these two parts of the strategy, to gather and to connect. The writer of Hebrews, looks at, look at what he says there at the end. He says, don't neglect this. And at the end of the phrase, he says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. The early church was radically committed to these two things. And eight men, the gospel just took fire, spread across the known world. They were radically committed because they saw Christ live. They saw him die. They saw him resurrect from the dead, ascend to the right hand of the Father. They saw the Holy Spirit come in power and empower them. And they knew Christ could come back at any minute. That's why they were so radically devoted. I would argue we should be more radically devoted because we're closer to the second coming of Christ than they were. We're closer to his return. So if that's true, there's no room for coasting. That's true, there's no room for retreating from the community. There's no room for, for slacking in our commitment to gather and to connect. It's what God's given us to keep us growing more passionately on fire for, for Jesus in the gospel. Uh, let me illustrate it this way for you. John, John Phillips, the commentator, he, this idea of growing and, and passionately catching you know, your heart, catching on fire for Jesus and his gospel and, and that connecting to the mission that we're called to. Uh, John Phillips, the commentator, he uses an illustration about, he says it's kind of like when you don't do that, it, you're kind of like a coal that's kind of spilled out and gotten away from the fire. But I'm going to use a modern day, I'm going to kind of adapt that and use a modern day example. How many of you have grilled, many of you have grilled with a charcoal grill? And I remember early on, I had to learn how to do that. I didn't, you know, anyway, I, I struggle with things like that. I need somebody to come along and share with me that you have to like light it on fire and not immediately spread the coals, right? You have to like put them in a mound. You have to gather them together and then light them on fire. And sometimes you have to leave them there, right? To where they, they get each other hot they, they 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 catch fire and they and the heat spreads and then the indicator is that they turn like a gray color and then you spread them out so it heats the entire grill surface and it does the job that they're there to do and when we gather as believers and we worship our king with passion when we stir one another to love and good deeds and exercise these values and encourage one another through connecting that's where the heat comes from that's where the passion for jesus comes from and then we're ready to scatter. Then we're ready to go and do the job that God's called us to do. Never, listen, this is, why, this is what I want to say to you this morning. Never lose sight of the truth that that's why you're here. You are not here to check off a box. You're here to fall more in love with Jesus. You're here for the affections of your heart to be stirred. More for him, more for this king, this majestic and marvelous and merciful king who came and died on the cross for us. That's what your time in small group is about. That's what your time when you gather and worship is about. It's about you growing more and more in love with Jesus. It's about experiencing his presence in a more real way. It's not just about attending. It's not just about checking a box. It's not just about playing church. It's about falling more in love with this king. That's what church is all about. That's why we're here today. That's what fuels our going. You know what that means? We've got to come together and make the main thing the main thing. Which is worshiping Jesus and falling more in love with Him. We come into church and you give us enough time, go back to that parable at the beginning, and we start making things that shouldn't be main things, main things. Let me tell you something this morning. Style of music is not a main thing. 
In fact, let me show you something. Is this thing on? It doesn't look on. How do I turn it on? All right, I think I got it. All right. This is what we do. We come into church with our preferences. Bear with me here. It's thinking. We come to church, and then we got our preferences, and we'll hear a melody. Just a melody will all of a sudden cause us to perk up. It's our preference. It's what we like. Maybe it's hymns. Oh, you're just like, man, that's my thing. That's my jam. How deep the Father's love for us. You know, I won't sing the whole thing. How? Forget how the song goes. All right? And then, we'll, and then the next one in the set will be, you know, let me change to something more modern. This isn't really modern, but in your grace is enough. In your grace. And you're like, man, that's not my jam. I just, I'm, not, I'm big on that. Can you go back to, you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. How deep the Father's love for us. In your grace. No, 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 go back to the other one. All the melody is is a vehicle. You're singing to the same king. You're saying the same things. You're lifting up the same kind of praises to the same king who's worthy of our worship. We get so stuck on preference. We get stuck on opinion. And we forget that we're singing to a king. And it doesn't matter what vehicle we ride in to get to that point. Style is not a main thing. Let me tell you something. What you wear to church doesn't matter. What you wear to church, it, it doesn't matter. You want to come in here, you want to dress like I'm dressed this morning, that's fine. If you want to come in here with a t-shirt on, that's okay. You know why? God's concerned about your heart. He's not concerned about what you wear. He's not concerned if this podium's right here or right here or if a flower arrangement is right here or right here. He's concerned about our heart, that our hearts are growing more in love with Jesus. And if we come together to worship Him, if we fix our eyes on Him, if we follow Him and we make the main things matter that matter, which is our hearts falling more in love with Him, then we scatter and we engage a lost community in a world as a life-saving, disciple-making Station called Schindler Drive Baptist Church. Does that excite you this morning? What would this community look like if every person in this community was restored and satisfied in Christ? What would it look like if every soul in Jacksonville was restored and satisfied in Christ? Does that excite you this morning? If not... You need to commit to the gathering. You need to commit to connecting. And you need to gather yourselves with other believers so that your heart can get excited about this King who came and saved you to light a fire in you to leave here and to see yourself on mission for Him. Hey, we get some people in our church fired up about that. We will experience a disciple-making movement that'll be something special. But a going disciple... Is a growing disciple. Going as a disciple and scattering on mission is deeply tied to growing in Christ. So that's where we're starting this morning. Let's pray.
If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is your greatest need this morning. And I want to invite you to come to Christ. I'll be standing down front and would love to talk with you. All you have to do is come down and say, I'm coming to Jesus this morning. Hey, we'll get to the mission later today. What you need to do is you need to come to Christ. In order to embrace the Lord's mission, you first need to come to Christ. You first need to experience forgiveness. You first need to experience His grace. You first need to see yourself as a sinner separated from a holy God and the only way to be reconciled and restored in your relationship with Him through His Son, a relationship with Christ you came and hung on that cross in your place. Will you believe that counted for you this morning? Will you trust in His death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins? For the rest of us, where are you at with this strategy? If you're somebody, maybe even online, and you aren't gathering, but you can gather, begin to gather. If you're here this morning, and this is the first time you've been back in a while, hey, be back next week if you can be back next week. Our King is worthy of our worship. If you're somebody who's a regular attender, uh, you gather. Remember why you gather. Come into this place not as a spectator, not as a consumer. Come into this place as a worshiper of the King. Who's here because he's worthy of your worship, but you also understand you're here and it's not about you. You're here to encourage and stir others up. If you haven't connected with a group, I want to invite you to do that this morning, to go by the Welcome Center before you leave and to say, I need to join a small group. They'll give you some that you can try out. But commit, connect. Maybe you're part of a small group. You've grown cold as a piece of coal because... Just in your heart, you've pulled away for what it's about. Next time you gather, maybe even today, you need to call your small group leader or somebody in your small group and open your heart back up to what that's about. Go to that small group, fully committed, looking to bless others, looking to be real, looking to experience meaningful, real relationships that are being shaped by the gospel. How is the Lord leading you to respond to this message this morning? I'm going to ask you to do something. You feel free to respond the way that the Holy Spirit's you know, leading you to respond. If you need to sit at your chair, if you need to stand and sing. I don't do this often, but I'm going to ask you this morning, as I think about our church, staying on mission never becoming a club on the shore in that parable we heard earlier. Thinking about a church that values sincere prayer, I'm going to ask some of you who are, who are with me, who are tracking with me, and who are embracing what I'm laying out to you this morning, this biblical vision God's placed here for our church, I'm going to ask you to do something visible, to do something tangible. I'm going to ask you in just a few moments when we stand to leave your seat and to come down front and to kneel at this altar and to lift our church up in prayer. To pray that the Holy Spirit would open up our eyes and would lead us to be a church that is truly a life-saving, disciple-making station. And I'm going to join you down here, whoever wants to join me. Let me pray and then we'll stand and sing. But for some of you, I'm asking you to come join me.